Da, I'll be back next. Uh, good morning, guys. Today is Monday, the 21st of February, 2022, the day before the 22nd of the 2nd of the 22nd year into this millennia. Anyway, that's not that significant. My name's Dean Dampney. This is Chad Taylor, who I'm going to be having a conversation with. Together, we represent two men <laughs> in the podcast that we've titled Conversations for Men and Women. Now, there's one significant part of this discussion or forum um, absent right now, and that is the wonderful Diana Black. Um, I'm feeling a little bit untethered, not having her here. It makes me question um, whether or not myself, if I've developed a dependency on Di in these, in these podcast chats. Um, and I, I laugh when I'm saying that because today's topic is dependency. Um, Chad, I, I'm actually going to just say one more thing. And we've spoken of World Channel this morning already. And we've also spoken of sound quality. And last but not least, we've spoken of those birds that have suddenly gone silent in the background here, not to say that they won't start up again anytime soon. The reason I'm bringing all this up is that in my backyard, I've got an Australian cuckoo bird. Now, I'll let you guys do your own research, but effectively a cuckoo bird is a bird that typically, as a mother, lays its eggs in other birds' nests. This cuckoo bird I've got is a baby cuckoo bird that um, hatched in the nest of two wattle birds. It fell out of the nest of the two wattle birds because it was too big or it got kicked out and it broke its wing. And if we hear the chirps in the background during this session, it's most likely this kookaburra-like cuckoo bird basically asking its adopted parents in its dependency for them and with its broken wing to come and feed it. And they've been feeding it now for the three or four weeks since they kicked or since it fell out of the, out of the nest. Anyway, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Every morning and every evening I see it play out. The wattle bird adopted parents feed their, feed their you know, slightly strange looking child um, you know, as it continues to chirp for food, unable to feed itself dependency what do you reckon chad how are you going with the bird noises hey dean hey mate yeah i just wanted to just acknowledge that i am missing Di's presence as well but i'm sure she'll be back with us next week for that wisdom how am i going with the bird noise um i don't mind the bird noise it makes me feel connected to nature and feel connected to everything but I also did like the way you just introduced the topic of dependency. It, um, it's already opened my mind to to lots of lots of things that shape us into dependency. You know, when when we decided we talked about dependency, I instantly thought of attachment style and attachment theory and and how our younger years. really shape who we are unconsciously as humans, as adults. And that, you know, generally speaking, I say humans are the most defenseless animal when they're born. You know, we, we would not survive without our caregivers. And I just thought that was pretty relevant that you brought in 
you know, the cookie bird with the broken wing and the adopted parents because, you know, I don't think he would survive either without his caregivers. And so I guess it's, um, it's a rich topic here, you know, dependency, it's a rich topic. It's, it's almost like we're, we're playing out that wounded, wounded child throughout our lives and not really understanding what we're doing. You know, it's, um, you know, there's a big word of codependency and then there's so much information and so many different schools of thought around this topic of dependency. You know, and innately, I guess, we are dependent on certain things. You know, we're dependent on food and shelter and water. We're dependent on human connection. You know, we actually biologically wouldn't have survived as a race or a species to get to where we are now without dependency. And I feel sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves. You know, as 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 a as a species, as a race, you know, everything's all about you know being alone and. And that you've got to be 100% content with yourself. And but the problem with that is, unless we have these people close to us around, no one, we don't, or I believe people don't realise how they present in the world, who they are in the world, you know. And I was speaking to close family about this last night about someone we know who's never had a relationship. And they're, you know, in their mid to late fifties and they've never had a partner, they've never had a an intimate relationship. And how unaware of their behaviour they are because they don't have anybody reflecting that back to them. So I guess like everything else, you know, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. You know, we live in a world of duality. There there is a good there is a good side to dependency as well. I believe as long as it's done healthily. And I guess for you, I'd probably ask you, Dane, what do you, what do you say is healthy dependence or what do you say is unhealthy dependence or what do you say is dependence will stop? Yeah, that's, um, those questions are great. I'll answer to the, the first part of that, Chad. When, when I hear you refer to healthy dependency, what I think of is that we are... Um, social connected beings and I take that one step further and consider that we're we're all interconnected and the more that we actually can tap into that or acknowledge that even more so perceive and feel that uh, the better better we are Um, so with regards to dependency um, I'm more I'm more inclined to frame that uh, that word with another one and that just being union and the power that we can um, find ourselves in union in, in relationship together whether or not we consider a dependency to be better versions of ourselves or simply frame it as a way of saying or a way of experiencing um, the other as someone that's uh, important or even integral um, in allowing us to become uh, an even more whole version of ourselves I, I love the idea of union and I'm really happy to call it 
a dependency towards evolution. And when it comes to these highest held values of, of evolving towards, um, towards the, the whole beings that we can be in tune with whatever it might be, the divine or the universe, I, um, I think that's a totally acceptable dependency to rely upon. Um, I guess I couple that with the notion that we're, we're not always basically evolving in a linear upward direction. And, you know, obviously in relationship, there are going to be times that we find that even if we've previously been great for each other in moving upwards together and evolving together, it may come a time that we find ourselves no longer being able to do that. And um, it's that point and beyond which if we're still hanging on to the other person, despite the fact that we're not working for each other or allowing each other to grow mutually or at least independently, that I consider that dependency to be detrimental, to be a negative sense of, of dependency. It's, um, you know, I guess I'm going to take a sidestep and, and just see what comes out here. But what you said, Chad, in terms of it's, you know, Maslow's pyramid of needs, I believe, is that the right terminology? But, um, you know, food and shelter are definitely things that in, in this human species that we, we are, that we do have a dependency on. And, you know, we're, we're beings that live for a long time and we start slow and we start with, you know, a certain dependency on our parents to provide those needs. But even more so or alongside that, I should say, and I'm, I'm not going to say one's better than the other, but love is the, the next, you know, layer of that, that hierarchy as I understand it, love and, you know, that support. So we come into this world and typically it's our, our mothers, our parents that show us what love is. They wrap their arms around us, they hold us, they, um, they show us what it is to, to know that we, um, that we can be feeling safe. And automatically from, you know, from camp zero, from base camp, right at that moment when we come into the world, if we're lucky, um, we know what it is to feel held by our parents and we grow a certain dependency on that. We learn that um, we learn that we can actually trust others to do that. And I, I guess what I'm finding in a lot of my sessions with clients at the moment that the sense of trust and on the opposite end of the spectrum of that energy, you know, distrust is a really prominent theme. And that's also very relevant in the, in the global collective human consciousness, consciousness right now. Basically, how can we trust others? How can we trust the information that we're being given? How can we trust their intentions to actually care for us? And that's, that's something that's conflicting for all of us. We, we intuitively come to this world believing that we can be, um, that others are trustworthy, starting with our parents and the caregivers that we're cared for. And when that's bridged or when it's not, when it's breached, I should say, that becomes a conflict for us. Um, and, and again, I guess that's when um, what our perceived you know, positive dependency was becomes um, something that we need to actually do some work around and, and make some aware awarenesses of and considerations as to whether or not we can trust our, our instincts and trust the other and providing everything that we need that's going to be positive for all of us. Typical ramble by me, mate. Let me ask you a question. I'll see what comes out. 
um, and I'll make it personal, really. I am, um, it's only a little bit personal, but I, I definitely find myself um, in relationship having fluctuating dependencies based on how, how much I feel that my um, partner is, um, is, is reflecting my, my love and, and care for her. And it's, a, it's, this, um, it's this, this external gauge that I apply that's, you know, quite unevolved and something I'm really aware of. And I'm wondering if that's you know, something with awareness I know that I'm getting less dependent on. But I wonder if that's something that you see in whether it be your experience or those of your clients, Chad, um, and how you, how you recommend people can navigate that. Yeah, good question, Dane. I love just what you said then, you know, and so I guess in that question, I'm still mulling it over in my head here. It's, um, it's about communication, really, at the start, I believe. You know, everybody comes with different wants and needs, you know, and this sort of flows into the whole nonviolent communication theory. There's so many theories that, so we could fall into place here, but they're all coming back to the same core, I believe, core that we all, you know, want to feel. That, that You talked about that bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it just got me thinking that maybe there is a lot of dependency on, on love, intimate partner relationships at the moment because a lot of those bottom layers of that pyramid don't seem to be getting met that well in the current postmodern industrial world that we live in. You know, something that came to my mind when you were speaking was, you know, the old kind of saying that, you know, it takes a, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, we've lost, we've lost all those physiological needs, you know, like a lot of, a lot of those community needs you know like there's a lot of infighting in families and siblings don't talk and extended family doesn't talk and or if they do it's it's not one person helping another anymore in the majority of the world you know we've become so disconnected a from union which is what you touched on as well we're so disconnected from source or from union from from everything that is, then we're going to play that out in disconnection. The way we see the world, but also the way we are in the world. You know, so it's almost like the bottom layer of the pyramid has to be met on the way up. And that's why I feel like a lot of relationships don't work these days because no one's fulfilled in those bottom areas. You know, for anyone that, now, this isn't going to be a lesson on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it is a big, it is a big part in our, especially more than ever in the world at the moment. You know, housing prices have gone through the roof. The area where we live on the south coast of New South Wales, nobody can get a rental. The rentals have tripled in price. You know, so those, you know, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, and reproduction—they're the bottom layer of this of this pyramid, and if those things aren't being met, then we'll try and seek, you know, then the next layer becomes safety. 
So if, if they're not being met, we'll try and seek safety through another person. You know, much like Dean was talking about the cuckoo bird opening the podcast. You know, it's got a broken wing. It's in a nest that isn't its parents. It's got two other birds that aren't the same species as it. Adopting it. And it's crying out to be fed. You know, to me, I see that as no different as, you know, a 35-year-old man or woman who doesn't have much family support. They may or may not have come from a previous relationship where they have kids. Life's pretty tough as a single parent or, you know, life's pretty tough as a single person full stop whether you've got kids or not at the moment. I'm just using this analogy to relate it back to the bird to see how this plays out everywhere in the world. And they just want to feel safe and secure and loved, you know. They just, you know, those physiological needs and those safety needs, they want to be met. So when they find a partner, if they find a partner, then they see that that kind of third the third part of the pyramid, there's five stages. The third part of the pyramid is love and belonging needs. So I think they're jumping to there to hope the bottom two get covered by that by that person that they're with. You know, and this happens all unconsciously. You know, we spoke a lot last week about, you know, experience, you know, knowledge and experience. And if we can become aware of this stuff and have some compassion, A, for the people around us, and also ourselves, because a lot of the time we don't we don't know why we're dependent, you know. And and life is easier for most people with that person in their corner. You know, if you're doing it really tough and you've had a shitty day at work or life, and you've got a person in your world, well, you kind of, you know, that love and belonging needs that they provide are actually, like Dean, Dean used the word instinct, you know. We have a lot of instincts that that we play out that we don't realise. So, of course, we're going to want to come home to somebody, you know. And that, and that somebody can almost, that right person can almost cover this whole pyramid. You know, if you've got a safe place to come home to, physiological needs are met. and your safety needs are met. Then the next one up is love and belonging needs, which is friendship, intimacy, family, feelings of connection. And then we go up to esteem needs, respect, self-esteem, status recognition, strength and freedom. And then self-actualization needs, desire to become the best one, desire to become the best that one can be. So any wonder would become dependent on things around us to try and get us to the top of that pyramid. And it, it's pretty hard to become the best that we can be if the rest of our world's falling apart. This probably isn't going exactly where I thought it was going to go, Dean, but I'm going to run with it because I just want to show that the other side of dependency, you know, but it's also got to be a realistic dependency and it's got to be understood and it's got to be conscious and aware, you know, 
it's almost, you know, and, and I've used this a lot and I think I've used it here and I'll turn it over to you in a sec, Dean, but that, you know, saying I love you to somebody, you know, really when we break that down, you know, it's most probably a dependency of wanting to feel loved. You know, somebody saying I love you because really they want to hear it back. You know, and, and they want this triangle to be filled. They want part of this, this you know, this to be filled. So they're actually seeking some, you know, they don't realise they're doing it. And then a lot of the time they'll say it to their partner and they might get a mumble back because their partner's mind's busy or somewhere else. And then it creates more disconnection and more, it actually makes them worse than before they said it. You know, and, and I, I talk about this a lot with my partners, you know, partners, clients. And possibly partners, you know, we'd actually be better off saying to the other person, you know, look, I'm feeling a bit insecure now, or I'm feeling a bit, I just need you to tell me that you love me. I can pretty much guarantee from most clients that I've worked with when they've tried that approach, both men and women, they've actually got what they needed. They haven't got the mumble back. But it, take, it takes awareness to to realise that, yeah, there is some dependency even in using that line, I love you. Because, you know, if it doesn't come back, it's, um, uh, I guess we could move that into the unconditional love. You know, it would be would be lovely for all us humans to be so, so self-aware and so, and so high and so connected to everything that if, you know, we could go around telling people we love them because we actually love them and we didn't need to hear it back. And whether they said it back or whether they didn't actually had no relevance on our state of being. There's a lot in this topic, Dean. What are your thoughts on either, you know, what we've talked about, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, you know, dependency, even that little saying there, I love you, to a partner? Hey, Chad. I'm so impressed that you, that you not only came full circle on the initial um, introduction in your answer to my question about communication. For a while there, I was like, ooh, is he going to get back to that communication part? You know, we, we climbed up Maslow's pyramid. <laughs> we, um, we even got all the way back to the cuckoo bird that I introduced all the way at the beginning of this podcast. And then you brought it back to the communication right at the end there. So kudos to you, man. I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me how on point you are. Um, the communication part too is what I think is, um, and I'm actually, what I'm going to do is go into my rehash mode here and just rehash what I heard because it felt so good um, and on point. Communication's key. With that's a cliche, um, I'm happy to basically scream that from the rooftops. Um, Telling each other that we love each other is loaded. There's no two ways about it. Um, and it's often in our dependencies coupled with fear, um, a fear uh, that we're not loved enough by the other person that we're feeling a dependency on. Uh, and from the other side of that energy spectrum, a fear to actually love the other person um, like, they're, like they're asking to be loved 
because it scares us to to step into a, an essence of um, of lovingness in this case that we're not necessarily sure that we're um, good enough or um, whole enough to embrace um, both both sides of that energy spectrum. The spectrum of love in this case um, is is one that is going to depend on our upbringing, where we've come from, and what what we've learned. Yeah, you know, alongside you know the generations of of the lifetimes and those that came before us that have brought us to this time and place and in that spectrum of energy of love. It's an interesting one too when it comes to love that it's the one all-encompassing feeling that I advocate for as there not ever being too much of. So can we, question being, and I answered it already, can we love too much? And the answer is that we can never love ourselves too much. Can we love others too much? We can never love others too much. The unconditionality that you referred to, Chad, is, um, is, is everything as far as I'm concerned. To evolve is to know unconditional love. And I say that with not a caveat but a little side note to express perhaps a tendency towards unconditional love to our, to our partners, to our partner, is only moving towards the unconditionality if we can if we can actually not have a dependency on there being whatever it is returned that essence of love returned if we've got any inkling any part of us that's that's even unconsciously or semi-consciously fishing for something something to come back to us we're, we're not that evolved yet we're still we're still in that side of the energy spectrum where we need to basically let go more of, of anyone else's potential imputation of, of love upon us and understand that it can only come from deeply within us. That's, that's the practice for all of us to love ourselves as much as we can. I know that the next question I'm often faced with from my clients is, well, you know, how do I manage this self-love versus loving my partner? Like I feel like I don't have time to actually generate self-love to take the time for myself to be able to love myself and you know that's that's I think actually a, you know as I hear myself say it out loud that's a conversation for another podcast but what I'll say is a as a knee-jerk response is that managing our decisions is for most of us in a case of tuning into our our own um, intuition again our own innate bodies bodily intelligence as to which path of the road do we take whether it be for oneself or for the other but what I do know is that if we carry the intention of raising the bar of love, of unconditional love for, for all of us, that it starts there and it ends there and we can practice that with nothing longer than an intentional thought, microseconds, if, you know, if, if not maybe a second or two at the most, beginning of every day, start with our gratitude and our, our intention to say with this amazing body, with this incredible world around us, with the people that I've magnetised into my life that I feel care for me and give to me, I carry no other hope than them to be able to experience the kind of all-encompassing, unconditional love that, that we all know is possible and that includes a love for myself. So that was, that was again, you know, my 
my quick response. I also have another counterpoint to love being the only all-encompassing essence that we can you know, not, not, never achieve too much of, and that is fear. And I feel like it's the fear that we behold in all of us that blocks us or stifles us from being vulnerable in the situation with our partners where we actually are best served asking or expressing um, our vulnerabilities around not necessarily receiving or our vulnerabilities in having a, a sense of needing more. And what I'm saying right now is that if we can step out of fear of whatever repercussions there may be from communicating those things out loud to our partners, maybe it's our partners leaving us forever. Maybe it's our partners telling us to man up. Regardless, we, we use skillful means and the timing of our communication but it's important if it's not even, if it might just be to oneself or to our journal, but out loud and in the face of our fears to our partners to say, hey, I'm feeling vulnerable around this. I'm feeling vulnerable that you actually don't love me. I know it's coming from within me, but I need to say that out loud because often our partners in, in their own world and their own experiences of all their fears might not even recognise that. And it's, it's healing for ourselves, and it can usually be felt in the, in the healing expression of the relationship because we share this essence of wanting to, to understand love together. So, yeah, basically just having awareness around our fears, expressing our fears, our vulnerabilities, I feel like can make a huge, huge positive impact towards embracing the essence of love in, in relationship. I'm not going to ask you a question, Chad. I'm just going to give that to you. And um, I know that you know all of that. And I'm just wondering if there's anything that, that comes from that for you. Yeah, I love what you just spoke to there, Dean, about, you know, self-love. That's probably something that I don't think many of us are, are really taught or understand growing up. And even now, being a parent myself, it's um, it's a fine line between discipline. You know, when, when as parents, when are we say there's a child and it's not doing what what we want it to do, and then we we discipline that child, maybe tell them that, you know, they've got to do it this way or time out, you know, the old ways of the 80s and previous of smacking, whatever, whatever way gets disciplined. But that, I look at that now and I think like that child, we're virtually unconsciously telling them it's not okay to be who they want to be. But unfortunately, when we're dealing with, you know, children and right up to early teenagers, without that direction from their, from their caregivers, then they probably wouldn't be able to evolve. You know, and, and I'm mindful of what I say here because, you know, like evolving to 
the best person they could be. You know, like it's it's all done by love. You know, by a majority of parents, I believe. You know, so whether it's even parents who who aren't doing the best. You know, I feel like a majority of them still want the best for their children. But I just look now and I think, as a child, it just virtually it sends this signal of you know it's not okay to be who I am. And I've got to be shaped into who my mum or dad wants me to be. And the reason I'm I'm touching on that is because if you're always being told that it's not okay to be who you are, it's hard to build self-love. You know, and it could even be. But it doesn't mean we all work, walk away and just you know everyone starts letting their kids do exactly what they want to do. You know, because I know. Even for my kids, you know, if they'd be eating chocolate and, you know, rubbish for breakfast, you know, like it's, it's a fine line. And I guess growing up, it would be nice for some more education. It would be nice for people to understand about this self-love, that love actually doesn't come from another person. You know, Carl Jung touches on on a theory of, you know, unconscious projection. And he talks about, you know, we unconsciously project into the world what we really need for ourselves. So that, you know, I talked last week about working in domestic violence and that, you know, a lot of these guys, mostly men, I worked with men. I actually love these women so much. But the fear of losing them, being touched on fear, the fear of these women losing, losing these women was what created them to become violent and possessive and controlling. And to experience that firsthand and actually work one-on-one and, and in groups with these guys, and then trace back to their childhood, you know, there was no love, self-love, there was no sense of self, you know. And I work with a lot of clients, you know, different faiths and different teachings and different religions and, you know, personally me, myself, I'll, I'll believe in, I believe a bit of everything. You know, I don't, and um, I was chatting to a client the other day who came to me who was Christian. And we're unpacking just this exact quote, you know, he wanted to talk about just having a real a real faith crisis in trying to live in the world after after being brought up in such a strong Christian household. You know, and, and the amount of fear and guilt and shame that, that that carried for him. Anyway, we ended up talking about that that simple quote, you know, love love thy neighbour as thyself, you know. I don't know much about Christianity, but really trying to, you know, we did a little meditation and a little sort of unpack that quote itself even, and I feel like it's relevant here. Because, you know, Buddhism had its own, has its own kind of, school of thinking, you know, Hinduism had its own school of thinking and it's all about developing the self. 
you know, it's all about knowing thyself, you know, know thyself. So even that simple statement, love, love thy neighbour as thyself, what's that telling us 2,000, you know, 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, that there was a need to love ourselves back then even. This isn't a new thing. You know, we were struggling with it 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, you know, for way further back than Hinduism. So this, this you know, we just, we just get in a different... A different light in 2022. So just wanted to, you know, bring that into the field that this isn't a new concept. It's just that it's been talked about in many different ways, you know. And and these days we have the attachment styles and the attachment theory and the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I touched on before. But it's really until we until we know ourselves until we can love ourselves, we can never, I believe, truly love another. We unconsciously project what we want from that person not even knowing we're doing it. You know, and and I see that with friends and clients. You know, they'll meet they'll meet a new it mostly happens with intimate partners. They'll meet a new intimate partner and, and this person's the best they've ever had. It's just so perfect and I could never see us having a fight. It's just amazing, you know. And that, and I sit back and I don't, you know, it's not my place to to poke my nose around something that that isn't mine to reveal. But you know, fast forward that to a couple of months, six months mark possibly. You know, they're actually seeing, starting to see. The real person, not this unconsciously projected image of what they want that person to be, and then they get upset. You know, the, the individual will get upset that this person isn't who they said they were, but this person actually probably never said they were that person. Person number one projected that that's who that person was in their own level of consciousness. Of course, I've myself gone off on a bit of a tangent here, Dean, but I just wanted to bring that into, you know, I did say before about, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, being okay on your own and and and, and that we don't need to focus so much on that. We do and we don't. Because if we go back to that, you know, if we're not feeling safe and secure, we're going to try and seek that in the world. You know, and we can seek that through friends and family as well. We don't have to just seek it through an intimate partner. And that can then become a dependency. You know, there's a lot of men around, you know, and women, but more men that I see that, you know, they're 45, they've had a relationship breakdown, and mum's coming in, you know, twice a week to clean their house and change their sheets and cook their meals and put them in the freezer. You know, there's a form of dependency. You know, they actually cannot function, you know. And on the flip side of that, there's a dependency on the mother as well, not actually ever letting her son grow up and become who he needs to be. And a lot of the time, this is the demise, the reason why the relationships have failed in the first place. 
So I guess summing up, you know, we're getting to the end of this pod, you know, this podcast now. Summing up, I'll, you know, on on dependence, I'm probably going to leave it that, you know, awareness, you know, awareness. We're all dependent. We just we went through that, you know. We're all dependent on certain things, and I guess if we can add some consciousness and some awareness in our day-to-day lives through, you know, the practice of psychotherapy, through group work, through being spoken about journaling, through meditation, prayer, you know, religion or or a faith or or some, you know, yoga, whatever, whatever brings us closer to knowing ourselves we've got a better chance of identifying when we are becoming dependent and we are becoming, you know, when that, you know, healthy dependence falls into the unhealthy, um, on the unhealthy side, because, you know, even in an intimate relationship, it's nice to have your partner tell you that, you know, you're their person and that they depend on you, even using those words, I depend on you. But if it becomes lopsided, and that's what seems to happen a lot where one partner's a lot more dependent on the other, then that I believe is where it comes out of out of you know out of alignment, I guess, Dean talked about union, where it's not really union anymore. It's, it's the the one person and the leech, you know. And that's a horrible way to put it. So, you know, if the leech can become more aware that it's leeching and actually start to allow the other person to leech onto them when they need to, then that relationship can kind of, you know, fly just like the tide in the ocean, you know, the tide goes up and the tide goes down, you know. Everything everything has its opposites. And to me, that whole word union, you know, that whole, that whole thing is about connecting those two opposites in ourselves. And if we can do it in ourselves, then we can do it out in the world. So... You know, they, they say there's there's two steps to to change really, and the first the first step to change is, is awareness, and then the second the second step to change is acceptance. So to become aware of what we're doing, we you know we, we can't change a problem we're not aware of. So I guess yeah, summing it up would be. Where am I acting from unhealthy dependence and where am I acting from healthy dependence? And I'm going to let you close off the podcast, Dean. It's been great chatting with you. Can't wait to have Guy back with us next week. But I feel it's, it's been nice to have this this different format as well. And, you know, I'm sure we'll all get to do one individually with with each other as time goes on. Uh, yeah, again, honouring honouring you out there, Diana Black. Um, we miss you sincerely. That's for sure. It's it's really noticeable not having the um, the the voice of the feminine, let alone the voice of of wisdom and and the voice of eldership coming through from you, Di, <laughs> all the way out there. I know you can hear us, um, Chad. Thanks, man. That was that was brilliant. I can't thank you enough. I really can't. I, I um, again, I'll just basically speak to to what you said really briefly and tie it into what I've 
been referring to. I, in the very beginning of this, following up, following on from the cuckoo bird scenario that I've got here, which continues to chirp in the background, calling out to its mum and dad, by the way. I talked about dependency and how I like to reframe it as a, um, as a, a mutual um, givingness towards, towards union when, when in relationship, a, um, a, a mutual awareness that we can bring more to each other in, in relationship. Um, and I frame the same way, I frame dependency um, in another way too now when I hear you say it out loud, Chad, you know, one partner saying to the other, um, well, yeah, you're so dependent on me. What I'd like to feel is that the other partner is actually um, saying, I feel so good in, um, in being supported by you. So that's the flip there. So the negative being, you know, you're so dependent on me. You're so dependent on me. You're always you know, saying you need this, you need that. Instead of saying, um, yeah, thank you so much for the, the clear communication that you're giving me in all forms that you honour me by allowing me to support you towards this, this collective union of unconditional love that we, we are all striving to become. So gratitude for being together to be able to support each other is one that I really believe is um, worth nourishing. So bringing awareness around where we can be supported um, towards um, becoming better versions of ourselves and how we can obviously support others and, um, and forever reminding each other how grateful we are that, um, that our partners in relationship have, have consciously taken on that role and what a beautiful thing that is. And the, the other thing with reference to everything that we've been speaking about too is this sense of the fine line of, um, of sovereignty, allowing self-determination in, in others. We used, you spoke to the example of, of our kids and discipline, Chad, and, and how to basically make sure that we're um, allowing them to step as deeply into their sense of, of felt innate love for themselves um, whilst protecting them from whatever it might be, falling over or, um, or you know, starving on the, on the top of the icy mountaintop, whatever, whatever extreme that might be. And it is a really, really fine line. And, and you know, we actually spoke to that before we started recording, Chad, with, um, with one of my teenage boys and, you know, the self-determination um, that he's, he's really um, moving into and crying out loud for and there's definitely a part of me and a part of in all of us that um, has a fear in letting go of, of control basically and it's the control that we um we in this sense of, of self basically embrace or um, utilize in, in every form that we possibly can to feel safe but it's, counter, it's counterproductive to allowing oneself and others to actually flourish. So if we can let go, surrender, this sense of control, the fears that, that are underlying our desire to feel, um, 
feel that we're in control of ourselves and for others, the more that we can actually flourish. And it will always be a, a line that we choose with our skillful means. But the more that we can actually embody the surrender to understanding that we are all self-determinant in ways that innately serve us in the best way possible um, for self and for other, you know, the more that we can actually move in towards the the most whole version of our unique being together. I had a single realisation um, to with regards to the cuckoo bird and I'm going to let you actually answer it because I know you've got something you can speak to. I'm not sure how much time we've got, but it's going to be wrapping up right about now, I'd imagine. This cuckoo bird, maybe not the wattle bird adopted parents, but the cuckoo bird baby, which is now significantly larger than its parents, looks like a kookaburra. It's not, but it looks like a kookaburra. It doesn't even realise it doesn't look exactly the same as its parents. <laughs> so... You know, there's, there are so many, so many ways we can step around and through that, as the World Channel speaks to me now with the dog telling me he wants to come in. <laughs> but that baby bird doesn't even realise that it's another species as its parents. That's how safe it feels. That's how secure and in control of its existence it feels. I'm going to mute myself now, pass it over for you, Chad, to actually wrap it up completely with, with whatever thoughts stem from that because I know you've got some beauties. I guess that, that's what makes us different to, you know, we've evolved into a species with a higher consciousness than animals. You know, for me, it's you know, there's a book called Awareness, and there's a section in there where the author Anthony DeMello talks about you know a lion, a lion that was adopted by sheep, and it's it's in this pack of it's in this pack of sheep, and it's um it's in this pack of sheep. And it doesn't, it thinks it's a sheep. And then all of a sudden, this lion comes along and tries to maul this, this flock of sheep. And the other lion that's, that thinks it's a sheep runs away with the other sheep as if it's a sheep. And the lion goes and grabs it and it says to it, What are you doing? You're a lion. It says, No, I'm a sheep. He says, I'm a lion. No, I'm a sheep. So anyway, the, the lion grabs it and takes it to a pond. And this lion looks in the pond, sees its reflection, and it's never the same again. So I guess where, where I'm going with that is it virtually sums up that, that awareness. You know, that cuckoo bird's probably never going to have the awareness that it's not a wattle bird. Same way we'll see, you know, videos of you know, cats wandering around with in, you know, clans of ducks on the internet or things like that. But we do, you know, I feel like that's our personal responsibility to to know that, you know, I guess we are, you know, we are a lion in a flock of sheep. If we want to use that analogy, that 
you know, and, and that only ever truly seeing ourselves is what will heal us from ourselves. Until we see our own behaviour played out fully for what it is, we can never make change because it's easy to project it onto the other person's fault. So I hope I've kind of gave some sense to that, Dean. And in, and in saying that, it's um, it's given me a lot to, to think about personally. You know, you, I don't believe I can ever come away from a conversation with, with you and I or any of my clients and not leave me with things that I need to. I need to look in the pond and see whether I'm a lion or a sheep with, you know, and, and that's the journey of life for me. It's, it's step by step. It's, it's slowly going into the unconscious and dragging out something and making that conscious. So in saying that, don't know how good that, that ending was, but I'm going to sign off there for us. So if anyone, if anyone feels like they want to speak to, to any of us, just get in contact with us through the podcast, in the comments, or we might link our personal websites there. You know, all three of us are, are psychotherapists. The South Coast and New South Wales. We work worldwide by Zoom. Looking at starting to run, you know, groups and, and courses on on this these exact topics, you know, relationships, becoming more self-aware, parenting, whatever it is you're struggling with. And I guess we'll see you next week. Thanks so much, Chad. I'm going to go and find that pond and just like every single Every single one of us, um, I, I'm going to basically do my best because that's all all of us are doing. We're all doing our best. We're not malevolent. We're not malevolent beings. We're we're literally just all having a go to do our best. On that note, you're doing a bloody great job. <laughs> Every single one of you. Thanks, guys. Speak to you next week. Cheers, Chad. <laughs>